1: We're back, the final hour of the program. Don't forget tomorrow, too, our cricket coverage kicks in from 9am, Eastern Daylight, saving time of the first test, Australia, New Zealand. So that first test over there in eight years between our two teams, our two countries, which is extraordinary to think. So that'll be on air from 9 o'clock tomorrow morning right across the SEN network, which means I'll be having the day off, folks, and preparing for the weekend ahead. Uh, the Reptile. G'day, Shagger. Honestly, I'm sick and tired of Steve Smith's absolute dribble about things and his excuses, his little tricks and just absurd behaviour. Has not scored runs, made a 90, the media and Steve, acting like he broke the run record in test cricket. Let's talk about his mindset when he's making runs consistently. He's past his use-by date. Let's accept it. He won't make runs against New Zealand. Come off the long run-off. Come off the back fence there, Reptile. Um... I don't agree with any of that, mate. No, I just don't, full stop. I don't think it's absolute dribble at all. And his absurd behaviour is his behaviour. And also, it's the kind of thing that he needs to get himself out. That's what some athletes need to do. He needs to jiggle around things and move his pads left, right and centre and touch this and do all that kind of stuff. Um, absurd behaviour is, is behaviour that some athletes need. Think Rafael Nadal routine was his routine that's what got him going and I, I don't know if that was little tricks or excuses because it seemed to pay dividends and I'd say the same thing about Stephen Smith so that's on that one the 91 against the West Indies in the test in Brisbane is still 91 they lost the test so you can look at that one at any which way you want and not making runs consistently talk about the mindset making runs consistently consistently. Well, let's go back. what do you get a half century against Pakistan close there a couple of times. he was in the 30s, 40s and 50s against Pakistan. Um, the last test at the Oval 71 and 54. this is recent. Um, 41 and 17 in Manchester he didn't fire in Leeds. he got a century at Lords, 110 at Lords. So if we go back through there, And then go back again against India in the World Test Championship Final. There's 121 next to his name. I mean, if you're over Steve Smith as a cricketer at the moment, I think you're calling your shots a little bit prematurely. He averages 58 in test cricket. He's near on 10,000 runs from just over 100 test matches. His his record speaks for itself, in my opinion. Um, And it's not done yet by any shot of the imagination. That's your opinion, Reptile, and you're absolutely welcome to it. Um, But his mindset, to me, about this stage of his career is fascinating because what is he now, 34 years of age? The guy's done it all, and here he is at 34. He could hang up the hat tomorrow. He's he's independently wealthy. He's got his mindset on America, which is where he's going to live. He'll end up playing a little bit over there, but he's not done yet. And I think his mindset is absolutely worth listening to at the moment when he's facing this new challenge and talking about how he's adapting to it. And on that, Tim says, so thanks, Reptile. I'm, I'm happy to get those opinions, but I'll, I'll disagree with you on that one. Um, on that, Tim says, "Maddie, it was a great chat before when you were talking about Smith with that mindset of opening the batting. I think it puts things in perspective to see what professional sports people do when they're playing and to see what they're thinking to get the best out of their ability a lot of amateur sports people would benefit from this and i wholeheartedly agree tim i mean as you guys know i'm involved in some coaching at cricket levels and we speak about this stuff constantly i mean that they're, they're a level away from and some of them do represent nationally and internationally and then a lot of those coming through we talk about mindset and getting the best out of their ability because you can have 11 players out there and all 11 will think and act differently. They're not all robots. So you have to talk about that kind of stuff. I know people, and I only had this conversation last week about one of our players who looks like, um, who loves the fact that she's in a pressure situation and she doesn't find herself in as many pressure situations because of changes to where she's playing and all that kind of stuff, but she loves the pressure. And we had this discussion. I said, why don't you just manufacture in your mind that the scoreboard's different? <laughs> Think about it differently. You're not going out there with no pressure on you. You're going out there with your own pressure on you. So it's, it's a mindset discussion. It's a very different discussion to a, um, a stats-based discussion. And I think on the stats-based discussion, Steve Smith knocks everyone just about out of the park straight away. (laughs) On a mindset discussion, you either dig it or you don't. And you can either take a lesson out of it or not. And the opinions are divided. Um, Monty says, Steve Smith's one of the greatest cricketers of all time. Reptile seems to have a weird hatred of him. Um, Matt says, I agree with Reptile. Steve Smith looks cooked mentally. Time to give it up. He looks as though there's a part of that, Matt, that I'll I'll agree with on that. Um, And I don't know if he's cooked mentally, time to give it up. But for instance, there was sort of the discussion yesterday about the T20 World Cup, and Jimmy and I spoke about this. If he's not going to make the T20 World Cup, it's not going to phase him too much. But that's a reflection. Is that a reflection of him being cooked or a reflection of, him achieving what he's achieved so far and it's just not a priority at the moment. My read on Smith and his comments are he's lost the real motivation that drove him to be the best batter in the world. Inventing scenarios when you're out in the middle seems odd to me. Wouldn't you just play each ball on its merits and be motivated by the fact that you're playing for Australia? That's that's a fair question to ask. I go the other way because I know how different athletes think differently and work differently. And if that's what he needs... That's what he needs. And no one's going to know it better than Stephen Smith. As I mentioned, the Matildas can wrap up Olympic qualifying tonight in Melbourne. A hot day down south, Marvel Stadium, roof open, eight o'clock start to this one. Former championship winner and Australian representative Grace Gill is on the line from Paramount Plus and Channel 10. Good morning, Grace. Good morning. Good to have you on the program. Thanks for your time this morning. We, we've been speaking about this um, throughout the course of the morning about what's ahead of us tonight against Uzbekistan because there's two ways of looking at it. So I'd like your take. Um, do you go out there going, okay, we're 3-0 n- <laughs> we're three nil ahead after that opening game. Job's half done. We've got to just stick to what we know best. We should get ourselves through. Or do we treat this like Ellie Carpenter was saying, as nil all start again?
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting question, and I think the mind frame has to be a bit of a clean slate going into it, just for the fact that it is a completely different game under very, very different conditions, Um, weather being one of them, as you mentioned, a really steamy day today here in Melbourne, and they've just come from zero degrees in Tashkent, Uzbekistan, so the contrast there is I guess, the first challenge for both teams, particularly, I'd say, the Uzbekistan national team. They have never played in in Australia before under these kind of conditions and certainly not in front of 50,000 Australian fans. Um, So I think that's going to be really difficult. But for the Matildas, they're going to want a very sharp, slick performance and ultimately the goal is qualifying for Paris 2024. Um, I imagine it will be a little bit more of an open game than what we saw in the first leg over in Tashkent. And I just think that's because there's a few things going into Matilda's favour tonight.
1: Mm, Yeah, it's one of those ones where it's, you don't need to look far for motivation, do you, Grace? No matter where you are in the series itself, because the motivation is Paris, and and that's their front and centre in front of them. They'll have that at the back of their mind, the front of their mind, on the walls, in the dressing room, the lot. It's interesting how um, when they left Tashkent, and as you say, it was cold over there and snow around, they go through Dubai, and then I think they all ended up on the same flight to Melbourne. So I wonder if any of the Matildas players sort of wandered down and said, you yeah, know, let me just give you a couple of heads-ups about about <laughs> Australia. Geez, it's hot down here, and oh, mate, the crowds. And <laughs> I wonder if they played any mind games.
0: Oh, perhaps. I mean, I think um, in Uzbekistan, in the height of their summer, they hit really hot. Temperatures, So it's not just so much to so show that the heat will be something that they're unfamiliar with, but certainly the contrast from the freezing cold conditions to the heat here in, in Melbourne today. But that will affect both teams, um, uh, obviously. But I think the main thing will be the home crowd because um, the Uzbekistan women's national team most certainly have never played in front of 50,000 fans. And for the large part, those 50,000 will be cheering for Australia. So that's is going against the opposition side immediately. Um, And it's a long way to travel. Um, None of the Uzbekistan national teams have ever been to Australia before. So I think they've had exposure for the first time to what that international travel feels like at such a great length. Um, So it is playing into Matilda's hands in their favor, but I think, yeah, they really do have to approach it as a bit of a clean slate, uh, looking at at it like a nil-nil sort of uh, approach and then hoping to have a a much more clinical performance than what we saw in the first leg.
1: Where does expectation, you reckon, sit in for the Matildas? I, I, I can't think of another Australian sporting outfit that has ridden the wave of expectation like the Matildas have and then in turn had that expectation now attached to them because of their incredible success and what they've done. Um, you probably got to go back to Kathy Freeman at the, the Sydney Olympics in 2000 to try and think of the kind of weight on their shoulders. Now, a bit of a different story here because they're pretty much there for Paris, but no matter where they go and, and and where they're playing, but especially in Australia, that expectation is there to put on a show, to win, to do what the Matildas do best.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think when, you know, in, in a team or as an individual, when you hit that really elite level, sort of talking top 10 in the world type of level, there is that expe- expectation. And understandably so, because the players they have individually across the Matildas, Uh, incredible in their own right and then when you pull that together as a collective well they've had the success for a reason and this is now the 12th consecutive sellout we've had here in australia and that's because there is so much adoration for this team Um, and in terms of the expectation going into tonight's game it is that the matildas win and that they win comfortably and and qualify for the olympics which i'm sure is the team's expectation of themselves as well but there has to be a sense of i guess pragmatism about how they approach tonight's game because as we saw in the first one um, Uzbekistan were really good and they held a very difficult defensive block that the Matildas struggled for a while to open up and capitalise on so there's definitely some learnings to take from that first game and no doubt Tony Gustafson on the side will be wanting to do a lot better this evening
1: Steph Catley's been in uh, touch with Sam Kerr obviously who continues to remain out but Sam is a, a huge part of this program no doubt about it and and will just be a phone call away. So I wonder how those discussions are going. When, you, when we talk about the Matildas in, in the place of world football, and, and we've got such admiration and, and so much more knowledge across the board for the Matildas, what does, what does the rest of the world think about the Matildas? And let's just knuckle it straight down to the team that we put out on the park and how they play the game. How's Australia viewed worldwide?
0: Yeah, well, I think what is really impressive is that in the last 12 months, the perception of the team worldwide has become a genuine contender in any uh, world tournament of football. I think there was a a time and a a day when that wouldn't have been the case and we would have been there or thereabouts, but most certainly this last 12 months especially, but yeah, sort of probably up to five years when the Matildas have really started to put themselves on the map, the perception from other teams is that the Matildas could beat anyone on any given day, and they have done so on occasion, sometimes not necessarily in tournament football, but in friendlies. We've seen them beat the likes of of the USA, which at a time in history they had never done before, um, beat the likes of Great Britain. So the, they've defeated some of the best teams in the world, and there's certainly an international recognition now on the group, and um, the Ballon d'Or winner from Spain, Atana bon Marti, she said throughout this last seven days that one of the players that stood out for her at the Women's World Cup was Mary Fowler, and she said, I didn't know who she was prior to the World Cup, but she was one of the standout players. So the fact that our players are now being recognised at an international level by the best player in the world, arguably, um, is a pretty impressive feat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, thanks for your time this morning. A huge day in Melbourne, so stay cool. Just soak up the air conditioning because it's getting <laughs> hot throughout the course of the day. That roof will be open, but hopefully by the time you get underway at eight o'clock tonight, kickoff wise, um, that uh, it's there's a cool change coming in. So thank you for your time this morning, Grace. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks very much. Appreciate it too.
1: Grace Gill, there, so you can catch it on Channel Ten right across the country, streamed on Ten Play and Paramount Plus. As well. So here's here's the the equation tonight. They will qualify the Matildas for Paris 2024 if they win the two-leg tie on aggregate. So first leg was three-nil Australia. Um, the Matildas, you can win both matches and you're automatically in. You get one win and one draw, you're automatically in, or you score more goals than Uzbekistan if both sides win a game. So if Australia happened to lose tonight's game one-nil they'd still qualify by winning 3-1 on aggregate. If, for some reason, the score is level, the aggregate score is level after both matches, the team which scored the most goals in the away leg will qualify. So that's where the 3-0 number comes in strongly in the first leg there. And if then if we're still level at full time, extra time will be played. So I don't think we're going to go that far. You think that uh, Australia should... Should have a very solid performance tonight. Um, Great to catch up with Grace Gill. That's the first time that we've had a chat. Um, Former championship winner in the W League and Australian representative played the one match for Australia. I think it was against Hong Kong. Uh, And she'll be part of the Paramount Plus coverage tonight. Let's have a listen to Cameron Serraldo talking about expectation, which seems to be a theme this morning, but also Stephen Crichton as captain for the Bulldogs in 2024 as well. I'm just really excited about the improvement we've shown over the pre-season um, got a group there who work hard and work together and trusting what we're doing and I feel like we're a team that's going to get better every week but I'm happy with what we've done over the pre-season and excited for next week.
0: You've named Stephen Crichton as your new captain. What did you see in him that made you confident he was the right man?
1: Uh, I just think he's it at the point of his life and his career where he's ready to take that next step up in leadership and... I feel really aligned with Stephen and, and his philosophies on footy and he believes in what I'm doing. And It was a tough decision uh, with the captains we had last year, but Stephen's a man for the job. He's excited by it and all our boys are right behind him. Now we'll hear the other side of that this afternoon because Stephen Crichton will be right here on SEN with the boys on the run home. So make sure you stay tuned later on this afternoon. The new Bulldogs skipper, Stephen Crichton, will be... With the fellas this afternoon, but expectations for Cameron Serraldo, the reasons behind appointing Stephen Crichton as captain this season as a new signing. Uh, that audio, courtesy of Channel 9. 20 minutes after 11, right here on SEN 1170am.